0: Good morning, and welcome to Northminster. Wherever you're coming from and whoever you are, this is a community where all are welcome. We can see God a bit more clearly through your eyes, and so we celebrate everyone who comes to the party.
1: Today is the sixth Sunday of Eastertide, the season in which we ride the wave of resurrection hope, even as we struggle to make sense of that hope in the lives we lead day to day, when they still look so shockingly ordinary. Today, we'll spend time in prayer for patience and compassion in our interpersonal relationships, and we'll reflect on Jeremiah's words of solace to the people of Judah about settling in and imagine together how their story might inform the one we are living right now.
0: Now, as we begin today's liturgy, please receive this blessing of our time together. As you rose this morning, perhaps you lamented your lack, your lack of sleep, your lack of normal, your lack of companionship, your lack of worth. If these were the whisperings in your head, you are not alone and you are welcome here. But here. May you rise again and discover the strength of the secret stream that runs beneath doubts and lack. May you discover gratitude for what is. May you discover openness to whatever comes. May you discover sustenance in companionship. And may you discover that you are loved and you are enough just as you are. Let us worship God together.
1: Today, we're gonna spend some time with the question of how we can deal with the tension and irritability that seep into our personal relationships during times of anxiety like the one we're in now. There's an unconscious memo that circulates in Christian subcultures, particularly here in the South, that says that in order to be a good Christian, we've gotta be nice. And often that means that in order to keep up the image of being nice, whether that image is for others or just for ourselves, we end up denying and pushing down whatever it is that's causing us to lash out or to behave passive-aggressively towards those we love. And that doesn't help anyone. So first, I want to validate that If you're finding yourself to be more irritable in this season, to have a shorter temper, even or especially toward those you're closest to, just know that that's normal right now. I would be flat out lying to you if I said that there haven't been any raised voices or any increased tension at my house, and that's with two pastors in the house. This is a hard time and the hardness of it wears on us each in different ways and chooses to strike at different moments for each of us. We all want to be nice, and that's a fine thing to strive for, but when you find yourself falling short of that goal, I hope you'll make amends and then give yourself some grace and then take some time to stop and examine what it is underlying that tension that's causing you to behave that way in the first place. This is one of those times when we've got to treat the root problem and not just the symptoms. We also have to keep in mind that while most of us have made our peace with having to adjust our expectations of ourselves in this season. It's possible that part of our issues with those we love most, or those we work with or interact with most, is that we haven't made that same leap when it comes to our expectations of them. This is an opportunity for us to practice compassion, to practice patience, and to relax those expectations of one another. And maybe the best thing we can do is to find those areas where we are able to connect, whatever it is that helps bring us closer to those we love, and find ways to lean in there. Whoever it is that you find yourself growing short with, it's about taking a proactive tack and thinking about where it is the two of you are able to connect, whether it's a shared hobby or genre of movies or topic of conversation, and doubling down there. It's being intentional, being creative about finding ways of growing the relationship so that in those moments when one of you gets stretched thin, because we know there are plenty of those moments still to come, You're not stretched so thin that things fall apart. So to take us into a time of prayer together, I want to invite you to join me in taking some deep breaths. One of our members recently mentioned how much she appreciates the opportunity on Sunday mornings just to take a deep breath together. She said, sometimes I get to that point and realize I haven't taken a deep breath all week. So if you're in the same boat, I invite you to settle in, get comfortable and just be, just breathe. Inhale and exhale. Closing your eyes if you're comfortable. Calling to mind the metaphor of the breath of God hovering over the waters of creation. Breathe in and breathe out. calling to mind the breath that God breathed into the creatures of dust, the breath that gives us life. Breathe in and breathe out. Calling to mind the wisdom of the Psalms that in the end, our lives are but a breath, so precious, so fleeting, and so too are the ones we love. Breathe in. And breathe out. Calling to mind the faces of the people we love, which are so often the same people we lose our temper with. Just sit with their faces in your mind for the next few breaths, the ones God has given you to love. Breathe in and breathe out. And on the next breath in, you can think to yourself or say out loud this prayer. This is a beloved child of God. And then on the exhale, using the words, made in the image of the God who is love. This is a beloved child of God made in the image of the God who is love. This is a beloved child of God, made in the image of the God who is love. We breathe in and we breathe out. Amen.
2: A reading from Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah sent a letter from Jerusalem to Babylon, to the surviving elders among the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had deported. This happened after Jehal Akin, together with the queen mother, the officials, the other leaders of Judea and Jerusalem, and the crafts workers and the artisans departed from Jerusalem. The letter read, Thus says Yahweh omnipotent, the God of Israel, to all the exiles deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses to live in, plant gardens and eat what they grow. Marry and raise daughters and sons. Find wives for your sons and husbands for your daughters, that they may bear daughters and sons. Multiply while you are there. Do not decrease. Rather, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I exile you. Pray to Yahweh for it, for if it prospers, you will prosper. This is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the diviners and prophets among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams they dream, for they lie when they prophesy in my name. I did not send them, declares Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh, Only when the seventy years granted to Babylon are over will I visit you and fulfill my promise to bring you back to this place. I alone know my purpose for you, says Yahweh, my purpose for your prosperity and my purpose not to harm you. My purpose to give you hope with a future in it. At that time, you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me wholeheartedly. I will let you find me, says Yahweh, and I will restore your fortunes, and I will gather you from all the nations and all the places to which I banished you, says Yahweh, and restore you to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is one of our sacred stories. Thanks be to God.
3: Two years
0: the prophet Hananiah dismissed Two years at most until Yahweh breaks the yoke of our oppressors and brings liberation to Israel. Then our fortunes will be restored and we'll go back to normal. It didn't happen. That was 2,600 years ago, just a few months after Babylon tore through Jerusalem's walls like they were made of paper and proceeded to march Judah's artisans, craft workers, priests, prophets, and elders away into servitude. Even the royal family was led away in chains. Pages were torn from the story they thought they were living, and the chosen people watched helplessly as those pages were burned to ash ash right along with their holy temple. The presence of God, like the smoke, rising up out of sight and out of reach, rising up to heaven like an offering they weren't willing to offer. Days passed, then weeks, then a month, then two And then as shock gave way to growing despair, the questions started to tumble through. What do we do now? Will it be this way from now on? How long until we can get back to our lives? Some like Hananiah were all too eager to answer those questions, anything really to distract from their own anxiety. Hananiah threw out reckless numbers, standing on the unstable soapbox of denial and national exceptionalism. Two years tops, he told the people, and then business as usual. No fear, have faith that God will take care of us. It's tempting, you know it's tempting. But then there was Jeremiah. Jeremiah did not shy away from the truth. He was used to making people uncomfortable, but as far as he was concerned, that was their problem to work through and not his. Don't misunderstand, he was afraid too. You would have to be a fool not to have been. But he was also wise enough to know that willful ignorance helped nothing. One does not heal a wound by pretending it's not there. He heard the people cry, what do we do now? But his answer was different. Live your life, he wrote directly. There's no avoiding this and there's no speeding through it. So settle in. You build houses and you live in them. You plant gardens and you eat what they grow. You get married and you raise daughters and sons. What you do is let go of the place that you wish you were and seek the peace and prosperity of the place to which you are exiled. Learn to find your well being there. Learn to find God there. And then there's this whole dramatic thing about and I being wiped off the face of the earth, but that's a different story for a different day. <laughs> When I hear the tone of Jeremiah's voice, I can't help but remember a science reporter from a podcast interview I, had, I heard a few weeks ago. Let me just say that if I ever wanted to feel overwhelmed for any reason, all I'd need to do is think about the number of podcasts I haven't listened to. When I first started podcasts, I thought I could just pick a few, work them into my routine, and keep up with them. Ha. As I started getting recommendations and seeking out personalities that I enjoyed, my podcast library became a graveyard of broken promises. So one morning when Claire recommended an episode of The Daily, the New York Times' morning news podcast, I didn't feel gratitude so much as resentment of her unrealistic expectations of me. But still, for a reason I still don't quite understand, I did take her advice and I did listen and what i heard shifted my whole attitude towards our current crisis. The episode was from April 20th, 2020, which in covid time is like 7 years ago. The host, Michael Barbaro, set the scene of the story, set the scene with the story about the president's pressure on the states to end the lockdown and reopen their economies, which sparked a debate on when and how exactly it would be best to get that ball rolling. So to address those questions, Barbaro introduced their science reporter, Donald G. McNeil Jr. Now here's what you need to know about Donald McNeil. Back in February, when the US was watching the pandemic unfold overseas with an attitude that John Oliver best described as, but it wouldn't dare come here, McNeil was already telling people to prepare for mass lockdowns. He was telling us to brace ourselves for the deaths of people we knew personally. He was warning us about an impending shortage of medical equipment. So with respect, Barbaro put the question to him, when and how should we start to reopen and what does that look like? Well, McNeil started, I'm not some dark angel looking into the future, I'm I'm talking to experts and making predictions based on data. And he pointed out that some people seem to be saying that we could expect to be back to normal by June or August and that we'd have a vaccine in about 18 months, tops. But then he said, experts say that's a fantasy. In reality, we are moving into a season that might best be called the hammer and the dance. First, there's the hammer. He explained. Lockdown, strict social distancing, non essential businesses closed, shelter in place. And then, once deaths plateau and come back down to a minimum, we start the dance. We dance out a little bit, we wear face masks, we sit six feet apart at restaurants, we see how far we can inch out, and then when deaths start to skyrocket again, bam, we're back to the hammer. And then we try again. And all of this isn't stopping anything, McNeil clarified. It's just slowing an inevitable mass infection. Barbaro, the host, seemed understandably a little thrown by this. Well, how long will this dance need to happen, he asked. How long until we get back to normal, which is the million-dollar question. And McNeil replied, it'll end when we have a vaccine or a prophylactic pill, or when over 70% of the population have become infected and there's no one really left to infect. And a vaccine within 18 months, that is very optimistic. The record for developing a vaccine is mumps, which took four years in the 50s. And even then we have to think about producing the vaccine, which is a huge undertaking. Barbaro interrupts. Wait, are are you saying there's a version of this where the dance goes on not for one year, but for something like four years? That's a worst case scenario, McNeil said, but it's possible. Barbaro, just to be clear, there's a world in which this dance lasts years. McNeil, yes, there's a beat. And then Barbaro says what we're all thinking, The idea that this could go on for years, that's depressing, and that's a little hard to wrap your head around. And again, McNeil replies with a direct, yep, I know, but if we don't go into the dance, it means there will be more infections and more deaths. In other words, live your life. There's no avoiding this, and there's no speeding through it. So settle in. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they grow. Let go of the place you wish you were and seek the peace of the place to which you are exiled. Learn to find your well being here. Learn to find God here. I know how scary this sounds. If for your own sanity, you've been listening to the 18 months tops profits, then this might be as jarring as Jeremiah's prognosis. But here's the thing. When facing something this big, something so totally out of our control, some of the greatest therapeutic and pastoral practitioners of our time have taught us that the best asset at our disposal is agency. Name the helplessness and let it fuel a desperation to be intentional in the present moment. Recraft a new story, one in which, one that we can own, one that liberates us to be well and love well, right now in this land to which we are exiled. Not the one we wish we were in. For about two months now, we've been operating in how can we keep it together until we get back to normal mode. But I suggest that we heed the voice of the prophets and we settle in. Let's plant some gardens here. Let's build some houses. Let's learn to seek God here and learn what it is to be the church in exile. Now, what does that look like? We have some ideas. Way back in the days before global pandemic. Oh wait, I'm sorry. Way back in the days when global pandemics were relegated to the world of dystopian sci-fi, Claire and I were excited about the prospect of walking alongside the congregation in a process of discovering, clarifying and working through our communal story. Who are we? Why are we here? What is our work in this particular season and place? When we invite people to Northminster, What is the story we're inviting them into? We actually wanted to start having this conversation at the Coordinating Council retreat in March, but obviously that didn't pan out, you know, because coronavirus. And after the world closed down, days passed, and weeks, then a month, and then two. But we notice that rather than becoming irrelevant, those same questions have become more acute. In this particular season, who are we? How do we most faithfully embody love for one another and our community? How do we learn what it means to seek God and be God's church in this new place? And rather than hinder us from spending time with these questions, in an unexpected way, the changes this season has brought us has actually given us an edge. We have a renewed drive to be together and talk about things that matter. We've discovered and become comfortable with technology that makes uh, makes that work easier than ever. And since all our habits have been disrupted, we are riding on this this energy of new approaches and new beginnings. As we face what it means to settle in and plant a garden in this COVID-19 land, things are actually lined up pretty well for us to go about this work. So let's start with tonight's celebration. Tonight is the first step in paying attention to who we have been so that we can see more clearly who we are becoming and who we can be now. At 5.30 tonight, everyone is invited to log on to a church-wide Zoom call, where we will split into groups and connect over stories about times that we've felt most alive at Northminster, times we have felt the proudest, and times that we've been sorry. And then coming back together, we'll take a look at what kinds of stories, themes, and values came up to the surface. And the next weekend, the Coordinating Council is going to get together over Zoom to talk about what we heard. How do the stories and themes that we heard inform how we see ourselves? How do we make that explicit? What do they say about why we exist? Because a community with a why can live through almost any how. And then over the following two weeks, we're asking every commission to meet and have a similar conversation. In the why of Northminster right now, what is your how? What are the implications for education, for missions, for community, for how we use our property, for how we approach arts and hospitality and worship and stewardship? And all the while, I'll be conducting a series of interviews with congregants about their experiences of God and of Northminster, And releasing those week by week. And it's our hope that all of it together opens our eyes more to who we are right now. To what is ours to do. And to where we're going from here. It's our hope that through awareness and grace and flexibility, we'll learn to keep living this story. Co-written with the spirit of love in this new place and this new time. It's our hope that this will clarify what gardens we're being invited to plant and what houses we're being invited to build. Jeremiah ends this section by writing in God's voice, saying, I know my purpose for you. Even in the midst of all of this grief and disruption, my purpose is for your well being, not your harm. My purpose is to give you hope, to give you a future. When you learn to seek me wholeheartedly in this new place, you will find me. And your fortunes will be restored in a way you couldn't possibly have imagined. So people of God, there's no avoiding this. And there's no speeding through it. So let's settle in. Let's build a house and let's plant a garden in this new land. Let's learn to find ourselves in this place. Let's learn to find God here. And as we do, we'll find our well-being again. I'm so grateful to be here with all of you while this is happening. And I know that we can build something beautiful.
3: Thank you. Amen. Around this
0: table, we tell the story of the night when Jesus took the bread, gave thanks for it, and broke it, just as he would be broken. Around this table, we tell the story of the night when Jesus gave it to his friends and said, take and eat, all of you. Do this in remembrance of me. Around this table, we tell the story, remembering his suffering, remembering his resurrection, remembering that neither pain nor death have the last word.
1: Around this table we tell the story of the night when Jesus took the wine, gave thanks for it, and poured it out just as he would be poured out. Around this table we tell the story of the night when Jesus gave it to his friends, even those who would betray him, and said, take and drink, all of you, Do this in remembrance of me." Around this table we tell the story, remembering the new promise, remembering his grace, remembering that the spirit of love is with us no matter what.
0: Breaking bread and pouring wine, may we be sustained by love and embraced by grace. Amen.
1: eternal spirit, earth maker, pain bearer, life giver, source of all that is and that shall be, father and mother of us all, loving God in whom is heaven. The hallowing of your name echoes through the universe. The way of your justice be followed by the people of the earth. Your heavenly will be done by all created beings your commonwealth of peace and freedom, sustain our hope and come on earth. With the bread we need for today, feed us. In the hurt we absorb from one another, forgive us. In times of temptation and test, spare us. From the grip of all that is evil, free us. For your reign in the glory of the power that is love now and forever, amen. Thank you for being here. We hope that this experience has opened us in some way to God's presence so that we can go forth in the likeness of Christ. We have just a few quick announcements before we disperse.
0: Remember to come back tonight at 5.30 for the church-wide story listening event over Zoom. You can find a link to that call in the newsletter and in a couple of emails that we've sent out over the last couple of days. We hope you'll help us in this work of exploring who we are right now as a church, what the story is about, where we are in it, and where it's going.
1: As always, check the newsletter for more information about what's going on in the life of the church. And don't forget to give. Remember that we are continuing to pay our choral scholars, our childcare worker, and our staff, so your contributions are greatly appreciated.
0: Now, receive this benediction. May we go out with the courage to face the future. May we go out fueled by the desperation we find in that. May we go out ready to take action and write a new story together. You are seen and you are loved. Go in peace. mm